Welcome to the IMTS Monthly Podcast Series, brought to you by the International Manufacturing Technology Show 2016. My name is Rochelle Muckle, I'm the Exhibitions Operations Coordinator at AMT, and welcome today. We have a very special podcast. Um, we have one of, both of our um, speakers today are going to be speakers at the IMTS workshop taking place in January, so if you guys have not already signed up for that, please go to imts.com and register. That'll be marketing focused and really for the show. So definitely look out for that. That is January 25th, starting on January 25th in Chicago. And we're only having one workshop this year. So today we have a podcast on how to manufacture customers. And we have our regular marketing guru host, Steve Miller, who is right up there, a.k.a. Kelly's dad. He will be speaking at the workshop on the Exhibitor Passport. And among other things. Have, yeah, among other things as well. And then we have another IMTS um, workshop speaker, Mitch Gousset, who's right above me. So welcome to our IMTS podcast. Thank you for joining us, Mitch. Thank you. And if, we had applause, if we had applause buttons, we could use those. But. That's right, yeah. Yes, we absolutely do. So we are very happy to have you guys both. So hey Rochelle, hello. What's going on? What's going on? Getting ready because because now we're at uh, let's see we're in November. Of course oh. next week is Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Okay. So let me give you guys some updates. Um, yeah, let's let's get the updates on what's going on. All right. So first off, um, we started a new newsletter strictly for exhibitors. It's called the Ekit Wisdom. So that actually just went out today, so definitely check out for that. That gives you all of the ins and outs of what you need to know. It's very important messages. We've kind of printed it down, you know, not including, you know, various articles and stuff like that. And if you do want the fluffy articles, we still have the IMTS Insider. But this eKit Wisdom just really tells you vital information for the show that you need to know. So definitely look out for that. What's and a fluffy article? <laughs> A business article, something that you know can help you guys and stuff like that. But the it's Ink fluffy. Is, oh. Yeah, you know, just a nice read, really. Okay. Nice is that read. a Rochelle term? Inkit wisdom, yes, is IMTS focused. So it's the most important things that we are um, trying to give you guys for the show. And just another update. Like I said, we have our workshop, which is January 25th, and that's taking place in Chicago. So that's a huge thing. Um, right after that, February 1st, we are launching the IMTS registration sites as well as the e-kit. So that is huge. You can find all your forms for your booth in the e-kit. You can register your staff um, coming February 1st. So that's kind of what we're working on right now and just making sure that that's all up and running by February 1st. So registration is opening on February 1st as well. Yes. As well. So what we want to, so I want to mention, you know, of course, you guys all know, man, I am just an absolute, uh, I'm a huge advocate for the passport program, and uh, uh, if you've got the passports, then then you know that 
when those registrations open up on February 1st, you will have you will you will have access to those people who are registering early. I mean, obviously, it's not like it's going to be a ton of people, but you can start to communicate with them right away. So Absolutely. that's one of the that's the huge benefit of the passport program. Yeah, you can email them directly, um, or you know, send them mailing pieces. So that's definitely a, an awesome tool that every exhibitor really should have. Um, Every of what else is going on? We have the workshop. We have our e-kit going live. Um, conference red will open in May. And I, I think those are really it. Oh, Victor Housing is open right now. So if you guys oh. have not already gotten your rooms for housing, you'll want to do that as soon as possible. I in know hotels are already sold out. So okay, wait out. a minute. What? The, when, when did the registration open? I mean, when did the oh, housing open? Housing opened um, mid-October. Oh, okay. So it's open and, and a couple of hotels are already sold out. Yep. So definitely, if you haven't gotten housing, that needs to be the first thing that you do today. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't leave right now, but, you know, as soon as we're done. As soon as the webinar is over. Okay. And that is it for me. Very Good. Very good. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you, guys. Great to see you back from Montreal and uh, yeah. really like that. And remember next time to do that thing with you. Anyway, um, so uh, so welcome everybody. Steve Miller, better known as Kelly's dad, and and uh, you know of course Rochelle who uh, uh, bailed on me on Tuesday, in Tuesday webinar, but uh, that's all right. We'll we'll forgive her this time. And uh, uh, you know we're here today for the again another monthly. IMTS webinar, uh, and uh, as you know, we we do a minimum of one webinar a month that is aimed at everybody, exhibitors and attendees. But occasionally we split them up and do webinars that some webinars are specifically aimed at the exhibitors, and some are are, are more uh, broad, and they they go for the rest of the audience. So uh, and. Um, uh, but today, you know, we're talking with uh, Mitch Guzay. You, you know, those of you that have been following the webinars in the past, you know that I've, I've also interviewed two other speakers who are going to be at the IMTS workshop in January, Bill Stainton and uh, Shep Hyken. And, you know, that gives you a great idea, uh, insight into uh, how they think and how they're going to approach uh, the workshop. And today, we get to listen to, uh, listen to, I mean, I get to talk to, you get to listen uh, to Mitch Guzay. Uh, who is um, somewhere in Silicon Valley, right? That's correct. Is that right, Mitch? That's uh, right. And, yeah, and um, one, of, one of the uh, things that are uh, uh, common among all three of us, uh, all three of us, all four of us, <laughs> I can now include myself in this list, right? There you go. Uh, it, with, with Bill and Shep and Mitch and myself, is we're all members of the National Speakers Association. We actually, you know, have crossed paths uh, be, before. Uh, and uh, uh, and Mitch, who has done other programs for AMT, you know, and came highly recommended. And and uh, when I heard about what he, what he did, I was very excited to hear that they they chose him to come and join us at the workshop. Uh, and Mitch is a marketing guy. He, you know, today we're talking about how to manufacture customers. And so, actually, you know what I'm going to do here? First thing I'm going to do is I am going to move this over here. I think. Yay! That worked out. It, fine. it worked. And uh, and then I'm going to make us bigger <clears throat> so that uh, see us see us better. 
And wow. um, sure. I'll tell, tell you just very quickly a little bit about Mitch uh, and uh, that, uh, you know, Mitch and I have come from a marketing, uh, you know, marketing background. The difference is that, that Mitch was much more of a leader than I ever was, okay? I was just the guy who, who I was the grunt who, who did the marketing, the sales and the marketing. Uh, um, yeah, and I'm the guy who took credit for all your work. Yeah, and you took the credit, so that's no problem, you know. Um, you know, and, and I, I find this, this topic, how to manufacture customers, a really intriguing uh, topic, but, but your background is, is, from, is from manufacturing, is that correct? Yeah, well, I come out of the semiconductor industry, and I'm, I have an engineering degree, so during the course of our conversation, I may insult some engineers, but I'm allowed because I, because I have a degree in engineering. So. But you I joined the dark start early in my career. That's what we are. Everybody on here is an engineer. And I was, uh, my dad was an engineer, so I'm, that, that makes me pretty close. You were, but you say, you know, semiconductors, uh, and uh, you were with four different, uh, uh, according to your bio, you were with four different uh, Teledyne high-tech companies. Uh, you still yeah. on company boards? Wow, that's pretty good. But yeah. uh, I, I like the line where you say you've been educated beyond your intelligence. That's sort of, you know, I think we go through yeah. that thing. You have a, you know, you went to UCLA. Okay, we won't know that. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, and you and, guys you know, beat us the other day in football. Come on! But you also went to uh, Edinburgh Business School in Edinburgh, Scotland. That sounds like that was a very interesting experience. But uh, it was. Uh, that, that's a story for for another time. I want to get right into this: how to manufacture customers. You know, give give me the high, give me the forty thousand foot perspective of of what do you mean by that? Because we want to help people make money. That's that's really what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, you know, and that's what you you and I do. That we go out and we help companies make money, and uh, uh, so so give me give me the the Mitch Guse forty thousand uh, foot perspective of, of how to manufacture customers. What great, that yeah, that's a great question. Very simply put, what we figured out about fifteen years ago now is that marketing and sales were the last activity that businesses operated as magic or a random event or try stuff, uh, hope for the best. And it was kind of fun, actually, because, you know, pretty much the only argument you had to have with the CEO about your marketing budget was why you shouldn't cut it and what to do with the ad, because everybody's an advertising expert. But the truth of the matter is that what you're, you're trying to produce something with marketing and sales. You're trying to produce loyal, profitable customers. And in the uh, late 1980s, we began to realize that there was a strong analogy, if you will, between what people had learned to do in the manufacturing world from going from design to production and what was going on in marketing and sales. In the olden days, people used to talk about design would throw it over the wall to production and there was a big fight between design and production. And even still today, we have that marketing and sales disconnect. So from a from a very high level, we try to get people to look at marketing and sales as a business process designed to produce something, and that something is loyal, profitable customers. Well, I think that, and and I think that everybody understands that there is, uh, it, it's very common for there to be a disconnect between marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing you say is that there's is that that actually the disconnect there's actually a disconnect between it's, it's kind of like they're in their own little group, and there's a disconnect between them and 
the rest of the company, and, say production. Also, that's also true. Yes, that's also true. Um, and they've been writing about the disconnect between marketing and sales for probably 40, 50 years. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody gets that. And they're still writing about it, which means they haven't solved the problem. And And what we believe is that if you look at how they solved that exact same problem between design and production, which used to have the same problem, you can apply that thinking to marketing and sales, and you can literally create an environment where you have a system to manufacture customers. Now, when I say that to people, lots of times they go, oh, great. It's going to be like this rigid bureaucracy, and you're going to, oh, no, that would be a bad process. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to get people to do is change their thinking from this is a, well, who's got the best clever social media campaign today, to how do we repeatedly and consistently, predictably and improvably, a lot of words there, produce like that last a customer strength, a, customer, a profitable customers, of course, because, you know. Right, right. Unprofitable. So what you're saying, what you're saying is that, um, because you're 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 absolutely correct. I, I, I remember you know my dad is an it was an electrical engineer, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, he was very involved in uh, production. Um, but he used to complain. He used to complain, you know that that you know whether it was other engineers or whether it was designers or something like that. They would come up with an idea for a product, you know, and and then they would just hand it, you know, hand it to the production line, and the production line had to figure out how to make it. You know, and, right. and there was there was there, there like you say there was a disconnect. They, they weren't doing this, right? And, exactly. Um, and and you know, in in recent years, we're seeing more of this. Yes, D Deming really had a lot to do with that. You know, that guy, somebody, a lot of people have heard of, and 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 really, what he taught us was that the production process, if you will, of a widget starts with design and ends with production. But problems in production can actually occur because of poor design. Right. And the, the automobile industry has figured that out. I mean, whether you like the idea of offshoring or not, one of the one of the um, one of the benefits of this whole improvement is that you can design it up in Seattle and build it anywhere in the world. You know, and in, 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 in the early days of my career if they designed it and didn't build it in the same building that they designed it in, it would probably never be producible. So that's, um, that's very true. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned Deming, and my my dad happened to be connected with Deming, you know, for a number of years, and 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 I remember one of the things that that that, that he used to he used to talk about was the fact that you know that he he complained about the, the quality control department. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that that why does the quality control department even exist? Because that right. because that is an after the fact, you know, situation, uh, and you know that that there's no reason to have an after the fact quality control because then all you you're doing is throwing throwing away the bad stuff and 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 uh, you know you build that all in you know in the beginning and so so I get I, I get that part but but do you are are you saying then that you you bring okay so that you bring in marketing and sales to be part of that team. You also do that, yes. But really what I'm, what I'm talking about is thinking about marketing and sales as if it were its own manufacturing process. So, for example, um, using a business-to-business -business environment, one of the big debates in the business-to-business -business world is 
Who's supposed to generate leads, marketing or sales? Mm -hmm. And what makes it a good lead? You know, when you when you come out of a trade show with with a bunch of leads, are they any good? You know, and and how do we decide? And whose responsibility is it? And how do we follow up on them? And and those are all processes that if you think them through from the very beginning, you can go into any environment, whether it be a trade show environment, a social media campaign, a direct mail campaign, sales calls, and and say to yourself, what outcome am I trying to produce from this? And if I don't get the outcome I want, what am I going to do differently? I mean, people have attended trade shows for years, and lots of companies just do a great job at trade shows and get really good return on investment, and other companies don't, and they blame the trade show. And the reality is that trade shows, even still today, which I think is terrific, still attract a great audience. The question is, is it the right audience for you, and how are you going to engage with them? What is your process? for converting any opportunity, whether it be the trade show, from an advertising campaign, somebody hitting your website, whatever it is, how are you going to turn that opportunity into an engagement, a customer, or figure out that they're not a good fit and, and not waste a ton of time on them? And the, the idea that we try to teach people is to think about it from a process perspective. So it, going back to your manufacturing environment, one of the reasons why quality control doesn't exist anymore is because one of the things Deming taught us is the next downstream activity is the quality control department for the upstream activity. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing is true in marketing and sales. See, it's very simple. I can fix a lead debate very quickly. Who, who is the lead being given to? Some cases it would be a call center. Some cases it would be a field salesperson. Who is it being given to? Great. What do they consider to be a good lead? That's now your definition of a good lead. Now the question is, how can you produce them? Because, you know, there's that age-old story. Well, a salesperson says a good lead is somebody that they can drive their car over to the, to the person's office and will actually meet them in the parking lot and hand them the PO. And on the other side, at the other extreme marketing definition of a good lead is they've got a name and... They've got most of the digits of the phone number and part of the email address, okay? And so yeah. you, you, it has to pass a reasonableness test. But, but the truth of the matter is that if you think about it from a manufacturing perspective, the question becomes, what outcome are you trying to produce? And that's one of the questions that we really try to get people to start asking, as opposed to what are we doing, what outcome are we trying to produce? And, and if we can switch people's thinking to that, we, move, we begin to move them from an activity-based thought process to an outcome-based thought process. People are coming to the, to the show next year, and they're going to have, a, they're gonna have a, a great success if they think in advance. And I, by the way, I love that passport program you were talking about. And by the way, Stephen set me up to talk about this. I didn't know it existed until I just heard. What I love about it is that it gives you an opportunity before the show to begin to engage in a process to create a customer so people right. can find a reason to come and see you at the show because you know shows are busy 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 environments especially yours can be huge and so the ability to add to that process pre-show work and pre-show connectivity and pre-show engagement is just fantastic and and it forces people in my mind to begin to think about what outcome are we trying to produce from the show and what do we need to do in order to get that outcome? And if yeah, we don't get it, well, how do we change?
Yeah, and that's that's you know that see and and of course you know that makes one hundred percent sense. All right. Now I should I I need to kind of step aside here just just very quickly just to say okay that um, uh, yeah obviously Mitch is I'm free, frozen. You know, he's frozen. Uh, fortunately, his mouth is not frozen, so uh, so so we're good with that, and uh, we'll just keep going with that. Also, you know, if you I'm have a ventriloquist, you didn't know that probably, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're making you're putting me in there right now. Uh, I'm the dummy, and uh, uh, you know, and if you have any questions, you know, be sure to stick them in down below. I'll be tracking those, uh, and I will I will pass them on on to Mitch. And, and as always, we're recording this, and we'll we will have this both as a a, a video and also in in the podcast. Okay, so let's get back to that, that uh, you know, like, like using, you know, it doesn't, matter what, it doesn't matter what the marketing tool is, whether it's, you know, social media or direct, direct mail or a trade ad or, some, or uh, anything like that or a trade show like IMTS. You know, what, I'm, you know, what, what is often happens, at least in my experience with companies, uh, is that they kind of go into say a trade show like IMTS. There's 114. You know, there were 114,000 people at the last show, uh, wow. and they kind of look at that and they go, "Wow, you know, we're going to get a few thousand leads out of that." Uh, you know, when when what they need to do is go into that and say, "All right, of that 114,000, you know, how many of them fit the profile yep. of our target our targeted." Prospect, okay, yes. which means, as you say, they have to identify what that profile is, and uh, uh, you know, and 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 then from that you start to determine who needs to stop into my booth. Yep. Right, exactly and right. you, and, and then you need to do what it takes to get that person in your booth. Not while while the, you know, when you say that a lot of exhibitors are are good, uh, you know, I might not necessarily agree that a lot a lot are. I think some are. Uh, but I think that I think too many exhibitors try to hit try to attract everybody into their booth. Yes. Much like with they do a trade ad, they, the trade ad is kind of aimed at everybody. Yes. Right. And uh, you know, rather than like you say, marketing and sales get together and they identify they identify very very specifically who that who the the ideal lead is. Yep. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? Absolutely. We we have a we have a construct we we talk about called who, what, and how. Who is your target customer? What can they buy from you? They don't think they can buy from anybody else. And how do they want to buy it? And what we have found over the years, back I wrote a book on this subject called The Secret to Selling More. Um, most companies cannot articulate what makes what. Customers are buying from them. You know, there's a whole lot of language we, you and I have heard for years, the unique selling proposition, the differentiation, right. the value add. And, and most people, when they focus on that, they focus on what they're doing that's different. I really don't care what you do that's different. As long as it's legal, I don't care if you use pixie dust. What I care about is what can I buy from you I don't think I can buy from anybody else. You know, my neighbor across the street has a Tesla. Another neighbor has, a, has an electric car. His is a Chevy Volt. Okay? People don't call Teslas electric cars. They call them Teslas. Okay? Because a Tesla costs $100,000 and a Chevy Volt costs $35,000. If you're going to spend hundred grand on something instead of thirty-five, there better be a difference. And what we have found is that most companies 
cannot help their sales organization know what the company offers. And that's a flaw in marketing. So you go back to the disconnect between marketing and sales. Marketing's not teaching sales what the real difference is. Maybe there isn't one, and that would be a problem. You know, and that's many, and many often, years ago. Often that is the yeah. Yeah, often many years ago, Chrysler asked us to help them with uh, with with uh, selling more cars, and they told us they didn't want to talk about the PT Cruiser because they could sell all they could make, and you know, my mouth is almost as gets me in almost as much trouble as yours does, and. And I said to the guy, I said, well, why don't you just develop some other cars that are as great as the PT Cruiser? <laughs> now, you know, so, and then, and then back to what you were talking about with the who. Who is the target customer? You've got a hundred and something thousand people coming to that trade show. And unfortunately, in the olden days, we would impress our boss by saying, look, there's going to be 114,000 people. It's like, I can get 10,000 people to come to my website. Nobody That's counts right. website hits anymore. They know better. Yeah. Trade show okay. visitors don't matter. Who are yeah. you targeting? You know, if you can go to that show and you can find a hundred great opportunities, why would you not just focus on them? And you know right. better than most what happens when a trade show booth's got so many people in it you can't deal with the ones that you should be dealing with, and and you end up missing opportunities because you you scatter shot at everything. So well, I'm absolutely it, with it, you on targeting. Yeah, and it's a, it's an old saying, you know, in in our world of of you know, because you know our world of speaking and consulting, you know, we we have to have all these wise sayings, right? And it's an old wise saying, you know, that there's a there's a giant difference between busyness and effectiveness. Yeah. And uh, um, so so we want to, you know, and and of course we're not just talking about a trade show or IMTS, um, you know, we're talking about just in, in general. That, Absolutely. Uh, that when uh, uh, you know, if you want to manufacture customers, you got a number one. You first got to know who your customers should right. be, exactly. right? So, what, you, what is a customer for you? What, right. what is a customer, right? And uh, and and I like that that phrase is you know that that what can they buy from us that they can't get anywhere else? Yeah, or at least they don't think they can. They don't think they can now. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm throwing a curveball in this conversation here, but. Uh, um, you know, something that you see a lot of, and I complain about this all the time in my speeches and in my work with people and my articles, that, uh, uh, you know, that everybody says they have great customer service, and that's what separates them from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. What, I, what have, you, uh, I have They use that asking, as a marketing tool. Right. I have been asking people the question. What can customers buy from you they don't think they can buy from anybody else for many, many years? The most common answers I get are quality, service, peace of right. mind. Okay. Okay. And, I'm, and I look at them and I say, who on earth would say, oh, goody, can you scare the crap out of me because I'd love that. Well, maybe you're going to a haunted house. But, I mean, who... What competitor of yours do you think leads with what? Our stuff isn't any good, doesn't really work, but it's cheap. Everybody claims quality and service. Mm -hmm. That's a given. In fact, in one of my talks years ago, let's go down the side for real quick, I used to tell people, I said, look, give me an answer, but don't use the words quality or service. So I was in England, and this guy said quality. And I said, I know I speak with an accent, but was I not clear? And I had said, if you want to use quality or service, you have to be able to show me your Olympic gold medal. All right? So, so I looked at him and I said, was I not clear? He said, yeah. I said, 
Well, he said, every Olympic gold medal target shooter for the last 100 years has used our ammunition. I said, okay, that's close enough. <laughs> so, you know, if you can prove it or you can demonstrate it, I'm not against quality and service, but, you know, it, it, you know, as our friend Shep talks about, it's, you know, it's a lot about customer experience and everybody claims they're going to be great customer experience. And as I told you before we got on the call, I was five hours late coming home last night, which is why I'm broadcasting uh, not live anymore from my uh, kitchen, but uh, it, the customer experience opportunity there with 150 passengers wasn't done very well. I mean, it right. wasn't horrible, but it wasn't done very well. So you have to find things that really make you different that can't be said by the competition and throw away words like quality and service, peace of mind. Everybody says that. It does, you know. 95% or more of what you do, so does everybody else in your industry. It's yep. the 1% or 2% that make you different, and you've got to figure out what that is. Well, you just said, you know, you just used a great example of the guy, uh, and what, 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 did he, what did he say? They the, make the, ammunition. It, it, they made ammunition. Yeah. So, so, you see, you know, instead of saying we have great quality or we have, we have the highest, highest quality, you know, he's saying every, every Olympic, you know, gold medal winner for the last, you know, Four thousand years, you know, right. has used our has used our ammunition. See, and that is a meaningful specific, is what that is versus Absolutely. versus that versus that vague generality of saying customer service. And so, so if you want, you know, you know, part of manufacturing customers is making sure that the customers understand that. Yeah, right? you know, right. so so that they and, and it's something that they get. Right yeah. in their mind, they get they get you know that when you say something like that, they go. It's like you said. You said, "Oh, okay, I get it." Yeah, exactly. And, you know that makes you the best. Exactly, and and right. I'm sure all of our all of our listeners and, and, and watchers of you um, have experience either currently or recently with customers that weren't a good fit for the company. Somebody allowed that customer to become one, and they weren't a good fit. So part of this of the skill set in manufacturing customers is to make sure you manufacture great ones. And a great customer is somebody that loves doing business with you, really values doing business with you, and that you love doing business with them and you value doing business with them. It's a two-way street. And so manufacturing customers is not just about applying process thinking uh, to the the skills of marketing and sales, but it's also about identifying who should be your customer and who shouldn't be your customer, because we've all had experience with people who shouldn't have been our customer. Now, let's say, when you talk about these processes, though, um, it, you know, processes, for, to me, sound like, uh, um, you know, a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, right. Or yeah, or bureaucracy or things yeah. like that. So so that, that that's a great. Thanks for doing that. See, that's great. Um, so let me give you a couple of examples of process thinking that you don't think of as a process. Everything operates as a process. The question becomes how flexible and adaptable does that process need to be on a production line. It's very rigid. You do not want artists working on a production line, unless you're creating art, because you want the vehicles or the, or the equipment or whatever you're making to come out correctly each time. 
But let's imagine that you get in an accident. I don't wish that on you for any reason, but let, let's imagine that you get in an accident later today and they rush you to a trauma center. And as you're being rolled into the trauma center, before you lose conscience, yeah, before you go, before you pass out. I can't really use big words. Um, what you hear the doctor saying is, I don't know. What do you think we should try today? <laughs> okay. And, and, and you don't want to hear, well, we've tried all the things we can think of today, so I guess we'll just have to let them die. Okay. <laughs> I promise you that when, they, when, the, when the SEAL team went and took out Osama bin Laden, and when you go into a trauma center, anybody goes into a trauma center, they're following a process. That process is flexible and adaptable because you never know for sure what's going to happen in the environment. And the same thing is true when you're manufacturing customers. The gosh darn customers won't behave the way you want them to behave when you tell them to behave that way. So you need smart people who are able to adapt within boundary conditions, the process, to meet the customer's needs. That doesn't mean it's a Wild West show. It means that there are variables that are going to occur. It's like when the helicopter um, couldn't land, okay? Um, they had to deal with that. It's, it's like when, if you end up in a trauma center and, and what they're looking at isn't what they expected. They have to be able to deal with that. And so customers have to be dealt with, but that doesn't mean it's a random event. People think when, when we say process, we mean bureaucracy. That would be a bad process. You need a flexible and adaptable process, but if it needs to be too flexible and too adaptable, there's too few people who can operate it. And now you have to go out and hire superstars, which, makes you, which busts your budget. And so the best process for marketing and sales is one that allows you to hire good people who will be great working in your process. And if you can do that, you can attract a lot of talent you can attract a lot of customers because you're targeted, you're focused, and every day you're trying to figure out how do we get better today compared to yesterday? How do we improve this campaign? How do we improve this product? How do we improve our attraction mechanisms to get customers? You know, how do we change? How do we adapt? How are we measuring, monitoring, and improving, which is what happens in every other business process but didn't used to happen much in marketing. Okay, let me let me uh, I, I'm going to try to uh, put myself in the shoes of some people who are listening to this right now or watching this right now, and 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 they might be saying they might be saying something like, "Okay, well, well, Mitch, it's all well and good for you to tell me to hire the right people or something like that, but mm -hmm. I've already got people in place." Good. All right. I've, I I mean I've got an established team yeah. right now. Yep. Um, how do I start this? How do I start? Yeah. How how do I where do I start? What's step one in this process? Yeah. Okay. So so. Step one in the process is come to hear me. No, step one in the process, it, it depends. Okay, that's of course the, the standard oh. consulting answer. So there's two ways that 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 we recommend that people get started. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just give you both of them, but not necessarily in any order that matters. So so the first question is, if you if revenue is not meeting your boss's expectations, there's a lot of pressure on marketing and sales to, to grow revenue. And so the question becomes, where's the bottleneck or constraint that is keeping you from growing revenue? So in a manufacturing process, 
if they need more output from the production line. Goldratt wrote a book in 1985 called The Goal, and many people have read that book today. Yep. And it's all about figuring out where the bottleneck or constraint is in the process. Because if right. you apply resources where there isn't a bottleneck or constraint, throughput doesn't go up. Right. Well, the same thing is true in marketing and sales. If you need more revenue, more customers, higher average ticket price, where's the bottleneck in your process? Now, you know, we ask that people question people, oh, we don't have enough leads. Okay. How do you know that? Okay. Um, I've seen companies say they don't have enough leads, and when we look at the process, they have more leads than they can handle. The bottleneck was in qualifying those leads, which never got to the sales force. So a simple answer like we don't have enough leads isn't usually the right answer. Uh, some people say our prices are too high or, or we need new products. But the real question is where is the bottleneck in the process? And you can apply constraint theory to marketing and sales and actually learn to understand where the process is. Now, my shameless plug is if you go to our website, customermfg.com or customermanufacturing.com, and you click on the free stuff tab, which is everybody's favorite tab, you'll find a bunch of papers that you can download for free off our website on how to apply process thinking to, to marketing and sales. So, so the second way to get started is to begin to understand what does process management mean? How do people who think from a process perspective work? Classic marketing and sales, when they have a revenue shortfall, they don't use process thinking. They use what we call the try-something loop. And the try-something loop works like this. We've all been in it at one point in time in our career or another. You get a bunch of sales and marketing people in a room with flip charts, and you start brainstorming ideas to increase revenue to meet goals before the end of the period. Right. And you get a whole bunch of things on the flip chart, and then you use the sophisticated mathematical technique of everybody votes for three. Oh, look, I'm back, and I look worse than I did before. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, but that's true. I mean, and, and you know, or it's, you know, it's that, uh, well, we, well, we need to do a sales blitz, or we need to do a promotion. Yeah, they guess or, They guess you, know, uh, um, you know, because, uh, you know, because we need, we need sales. Right. And so, so you, you, you pick something. You pick something. And right. when, when it doesn't work, you have the meeting again. And, it, and that cycle continues until you get a new sales manager who continues. And I ask people all the time, I said, if you had a problem on the production floor and you went to the shop foreman and shop, uh, you went to the production manager and you said, you're having a problem on the, on the production floor. Stuff's not coming out consistently. What are you going to do about that? And he or she said to you, we're going to have a brainstorming meeting at lunch and list all the possible problems that could be causing it vote on which one we should go with, try it and see if it worked, you'd walk out of there stunned because that's not how you expect that problem to be solved. Well, the same thing is true in marketing and sales. You can think about it in the same way your production brethren think about it and begin to understand from a process approach what's wrong. Am I not, am I not getting enough of the right leads? Do I not have the right offer? Have my competitors begun to do things I haven't responded to? Are there, are there customers we're not calling on? Are we not targeted properly? Are we not differentiated properly? There's any number of things that could be the bottleneck or the constraint. And what you have to do is think about it from a process perspective. And what I mean by that is process thinking is very simple. You have an input, one or more. You have an activity, 
and you have one or more outputs. What most people decide is the problem is in the activity. What we've actually discovered is the activity may be fine. The input may be bad. So let's imagine I made you a salesperson in our company, and I said, Steve, go sell, and here's a bunch of leads. Go sell. And the leads were all for people who had no interest whatsoever in what we made. Well, I don't care how good of a salesperson you are. I gave you input you can't do anything with. Okay? So why did that happen? Well, it may have happened because the people producing leads, which would be the work sell before, weren't instructed as to what a good lead was. So that's what I mean by process thinking, is connecting activities purposefully to produce an outcome mm -hmm. as opposed to an output. We don't want website hits. We want engagement with targeted customers who will eventually buy from us. Engagement and connection. I, I, you know, I love to talk about, tell the story about my very first um, adult sales job uh, back in Tucson, Arizona, uh, when uh, I, I was a DJ at a radio station. Oh, good for you! Didn't know that. Small, small radio station. Okay, <laughs> and. Um, and the station manager came in one time, and he brought the sales manager in, and he said to, to all, brought all the DJs together, and he said, um, "You are going to have to help sell the commercial time in your time slot okay. to all of us, right?" And he said, "And if you don't help sell it, then you're going to be out of, out on the street." You know, and I had never sold anything before, uh, and I said, "How do what do I do? How do I how do I start?" And he handed me the phone book. <laughs> And he I said, have a targeted he, list for you. He said, "Here's the." He says, "Go to the yellow pages, and that's you know, start calling." And that was his. That you know, that's yeah. that was that was the way he taught me how to sell, right? Yeah. And and I mean it. And, and I was terrible. <laughs> no, <laughs> you was, probably was, weren't terrible. You had a bad list. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And now now that I go back, now that I look back on it, I realize I had a bad list. You know, right. and, and uh, you know because they weren't predisposed, pre-interested, you know, or anything like that. They weren't, uh, you know, identified in, in, in advance. And that is often the case. Yes. You know, like you say, that is, that is often the case. And, and you, we hear that a lot um, from companies that have, you know, from trade shows, you know, where we'll go, uh, you know, we'll, I'll talk to them and we'll say, so how was the show last year or something like that? And I'll say, they'll say it was great. We got a whole bunch of leads. I say, well, how many, you know, how many sales did you get? They go, well, we don't know. Right. You know, and you know, and you know, we we don't have that we don't have that ability to find out whether they connected or not, or, or, or if I'm talking to a sales department, they'll say, um, they'll say, oh well, they gave us, you know, you know, they gave us a few hundred business cards, or they gave us a few hundred names, you know, and and none of them were any good. Right. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of an open loop process. Okay. You go to a trade show, you generate a bunch of leads. And you have no idea which ones were good, which ones converted. You have no you have no ability to get better. You have no ability to target. You just go the next year and do whatever is the fad of that year and and count leads and hope for the best. That's that's activity based thinking, not process based thinking. Then on the other hand, you've got salespeople who got a bunch of quote leads that they didn't value. In fact. Years ago, they did a study. They took a sales organization, they split it in half, and they gave one half of the sales organization lead, unqualified leads, and it was mandated that they had to follow up on every one of them. The other half of the sales force, they gave no leads to at all. 
The sales force that got no leads outperformed the sales force who had to follow up on bad leads because inherently salespeople know that following up on bad leads is a waste of time. But the process doesn't get any better because okay. we're thinking from an activity point of view rather than from a connected process point of view. The purpose of any activity in marketing or sales is to create profitable customers. You right. don't go to a trade show for entertainment. You go to a trade show to help your company create more profitable customers. Okay, you can have entertainment if you want, but, but the real purpose is, is to create profitable customers. And That's we're right. way past the time where I believe that, that managers can go to a, any event, can, can invest in any event in marketing or sales, especially trade shows, and say, well, we got a bunch of activity out of it. Isn't that cool? I mean, mm -hmm. one of the reasons why marketing budgets get cut in the downturn is because, and CEOs have told me this for years, I don't know if it was doing me any good. Well, why would you cut a marketing budget in a downturn? Marketing's job is to generate more revenue in a downturn. That's when you need more revenue. Why on earth would you cut the thing that's generating revenue in a downturn? And the answer is because they don't know if it is. Well, that's a shame. That's a mistake. And that's not process thinking. Let me. You know, we've only got a few minutes. We've only got a few minutes left. I. I. Okay. Now I want to go. I want to. Uh, um, what is the what? What are where where are the trap? What are, what are the pitfalls here? Are, there's got to be some kind of downside to this. Oh, absolutely, there is. Well, the first downside is change. Okay, human beings resist change, and. Whenever you make a change in anything you do, whether you reorganize your sales force try a different marketing approach, if it doesn't work, or if it, it doesn't work too strong, if, it, if you get a hiccup in it, people will revert to the old way of doing things. Whenever stress occurs in a business environment, for sure, people revert to the old way of doing things. So, so getting the change in thinking to be consistently applied is trap number one. Getting people to think and act differently even when it's uncomfortable or doesn't produce immediate results. If you're measuring and monitoring what you're doing, it will improve. The second trap that, uh, that people have is the rigid bureaucracy trap. They, somebody gets all enamored with this process idea and decides they're going to control everything by process, and they create a rigid, inflexible process that drives away the creative people that you want in marketing and sales and doesn't produce the results that you're, that you're looking for. So what we typically recommend that, that people do who want to get started in this is, I mean, the, the simplest very first step, the next meeting you attend, the very next meeting you attend, where you're discussing solving a problem or doing something, before you get very far into the meeting at all, ask the question, what outcome are we trying to produce? We have sat in on so many meetings over the years where people are debating, should we use this tactic or this tactic or some other tactic, and they can't agree on what tactic to use, and what they soon discover is because they weren't in alignment on the outcome they were trying to produce. So a very simple thing everybody on this webinar can do this afternoon is, Start asking the question, what outcome are we trying to produce? I promise you, 
it will be very enlightening and cause you to have a better conversation. Because once you agree upon the outcome you're trying to produce, then you can discuss how to produce that outcome. You will be possibly wrong. But that's okay. You'll be able to measure whether you did it and change if you're wrong or do more of it if you're right. Those are three simple steps to get started in doing this, I think. What are you going to talk about at the workshop? I have no idea. I'm hoping you'll help me with that between now and then. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do a, a few things. One, I'm going to I'm going to expand on this so that people can really see how it works and and take away some tools that will help them begin to think differently about marketing and sales. I'm going to I'm going to for sure talk about uh, the whole differentiation and 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 what we call the what, what can customers buy from you they can't buy from anybody else. Um, and, and I'm going to have a good time. You know, I, one of the things that I like to do at these uh, events is, is give people a lot of great takeaway value but not, not take it too seriously. And so, um, you, you know, people are, are up for asking questions. I always like to deal with that. But I've got some pretty good examples that will show, and I'll really give you some, some ways to really begin to operate your marketing and sales processes differently. And, and you know what? If you're not the chief revenue officer of your company, you can't affect the entire process. But you can sure affect whatever activity in the process you're involved with by asking different questions. What outcome am I trying to produce? What, what are you looking for from me? If, you know, if you're a lead generation person, don't ask how many leads they want. Make them define what a lead is. Right, okay. Right. Just simple things like that. You know, if you're running right. a social media campaign, likes on Facebook don't correlate to revenue. So, what outcome are we trying to produce from this? So, so that when the downturn comes, your budget goes up, not down. Right. Right. Um, you know, and and uh, and of course, we're going to be. For those of you that don't know, I I, I assume that the, a lot of the people that that are watching or listening to this uh, have been to the workshops before uh, for those of you that don't know you know the last couple of for the last couple of uh, shows you know we've done the road show uh, you know but before before the road show uh, for many years uh, we did one big workshop in Chicago which is like what we're doing right now in fact I think the first one I ever did was probably over 20 years ago and uh, and and this workshop is without a doubt the number one it's the best exhibitor education workshop uh, you know in in the world it also is the largest when it's when it's put together as one uh, one event uh, like we're going to have in Chicago I mean it's it's really really big and uh, and one of the cool things about having the workshop is that when you have speakers you know like Mitch and Shep and Bill and yes even me uh, that you know we're not just you know we're not just coming in there giving a speech and leaving we're there and you can connect with us, and you can talk to us, and you can ask us questions on the side and in the hallways and, and uh, at the reception and things like that. Uh, so you can come in and get and, and just say, hey, look, I, I, I hear this idea like for, for uh, um, you know, uh, I, I hear this idea that, that Mitch is talking about with the process, but I'm still a little bit fuzzy uh, about how to, you know, uh, kickstart that thing. And so you can actually talk to Mitch about, about that. So... Uh, so if you're not registered, I encourage you to register. Be there. We are going to have a great time. We have a lot of great information. So um, you know, and I want to make sure that that we, if you have a question, 
uh, for Mitch right now. Stick it in right now because we're only going to be on here for a few more minutes. I've got one question here. Let me see what this, this one says for you, Mitch. It says, I don't know if it's off topic or not, but we have a call center to generate our leads. What's the best way to reach these leads and qualify them? So they have, they, they have a call center, so I, this is outbound. Yes. Outbound call center. They, they've, got a, they've got a list from somewhere. Yes. All right. What, what would, how would you how would you Great. respond to this? So so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple of assumptions because since I can't interact with the questioner, um, so companies are using call centers more and more to to generate leads. So the first the first question you have to answer before you can contract with them effectively on your part is what is the definition of a lead? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. what are the characteristics that make it worth taking the next step? Which then my question, if we were interacting, would be, what is the next step? In other words, after this lead is generated, what is your company going to do with that lead? And how will you determine if the lead you got was good quality so we can give feedback to the call center to adjust what they're doing? Um, so one of the things that I've seen in, in some call center activities is that um, the call center, of course, is measured on the number of leads they generate, so they want to define a lead as anybody who answered the phone. And, and your company, of course, wants to only pay for leads that are valuable. So let's define valuable right up front. I would rather pay $50 for a good lead than $5 for 100 bad, $5 each for 100 bad leads. So, so the, the mistake that I see made often in call center generated leads is failure to agree upon the definition of a lead so that it's clear and unambiguous and then get feedback from the next step in the process as to whether or not these leads are meeting the criteria that was set for them. And if they're not, give feedback to the call center. If they can't improve, you might have to change call centers. If they do improve, good for you. And that should get you better results than you're getting today. But call center generated leads can, in fact, be a good thing if you define a lead correctly. Yeah, and and uh, you know, and I would add into that 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 I mean, there there, I always say there's a difference between a prospect and a lead, and the mm -hmm. and the way the reason why I say there's a difference is because to me a prospect is somebody who fits the profile of your target market. Okay, they they you know they if you say something like okay, are they the decision maker? Are they in a specific industry or maybe a geographical location? Are this type of factory or you know or, or or facility or something like you know job shop I don't know uh, um, you know so do they fit the profile of your target market if they fit the profile then they are then they qualify as a prospect mm -hmm. but when I but then when I communicate with them in that communication not only do I want to identify that they fit the profile but then I then I also want to develop uh, determine whether you know the level of interest or need that they have uh, and and uh, and if I can determine that there is a level of interest or a a certain level that of that they have a need, they now become what I call a lead. Yes. So let me piggyback yeah. on that. Yeah. Let me piggyback on that because that's great, Steve. So if the next step in the process after the lead is generated is a stay in touch outbound email marketing campaign, then the quality, if you will, of a lead can be materially less than if the next step in the process is to hand it over to a field salesperson who's going to try to set an appointment. 
both of those leads are leads, but the, but the characteristics and value is materially different because the cost of continuing to invest in them is different depending upon the sales process that's going to be followed after they're a lead. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, the, you know, the same person is saying, you know, our call center is not generating enough qualified leads for us. Is there a great ah. technique or approach that they should be taking? And I think that, I think it, part of it goes back to your, you know, you're, you're saying that you've got to have, you've got to identify, you have to be very, very clear and, and specific about how you define that prospect. You know, how, yeah. you, how do you define who that person is? Because if all they're doing is, uh, is just generate, you know, and I don't know what you mean by not enough qualified leads, um, you know, that, that are they people that fit your profile? Um, or is your profile, uh, you know, are, are they calling the right people? Are they, uh, you, know, you know, what is your definition of that, of that person? And what do you want to, ha- like you say, you know, what do you want to have happen next? Right, Mitch? Right, exactly, exactly. The, the, the key there real quick before we run out of time is what's the root cause, what's the constraint to not being able to generate enough leads? Is it that I don't have enough people to call? Is that I'm not converting enough of the people that I'm calling? Is it the people that I'm converting aren't actually qualified leads? I need to know what the root cause is. If I don't have enough people to call, I've got to get more people to call. If I can't convert enough of the people that I'm calling, maybe I don't have what my friend Ted calls a mind-opening proposition to engage them on the phone. So they have no reason to want to talk to me. If I am engaging with them on the phone, but they don't want to take the next step, maybe I don't have a compelling reason for them to take the next step. So if you look at the process of generating leads from a call center, you can hone in on where the root cause problem is by looking at the act, at the set of activities that start with somebody to call and a lead, and a bunch of stuff happens in between. Think about it from a process perspective. You can find the root cause and fix it. Yeah, and he goes on to, to say that they they don't seem to get across to the right person all the time and don't know what their need is by the end of the call. And 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 now what I'm hearing as we get deeper into this this, this kind of uh, conversation with this with this person, uh, now what I'm hearing is uh, a marketing problem, no question about it. Um, and that I my perception, and Mitch, you can tell me what you think about this. My perception is that. Um, you're you're take you're you're trying to, to jump steps in this in this using this call center. Uh, Could very well be the call, call center may not have skilled enough people to do what you need. That would be like having an inadequate machine on a production line that isn't precise enough to do the work necessary. So sometimes the people in the call center aren't able to do what you need. Sometimes you can't give them the the information they need in order to be able to do it. And I'm not picking on this person because I don't even know who they are. But right. if you don't have a compelling reason for the, for the person to be talking to the call center, the best people in the world won't have a conversation. Conversely, right. you've got a great thing to talk about, and people aren't capable of talking about it. You know, and also also to say, you know, they don't know what their need is by the end of the call. You know, if somebody called me and they said, we want to know what you need. Yeah, right. There's a problem. <laughs> we're, we're done talking, you know. That's exactly. What I, that's what I would say. Exactly. So, that's not so, a mind-opening so proposition, that's for sure. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, you know, um, Vincent, be, be at the workshop, okay? Uh, because one of us, one of us is gonna answer that question for. Yeah, come find me there for sure. I'm happy to talk to you about. It. 
Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and if you can't, you know, and if Mitch is too, you know, has too many people around him, um, I'll be standing in the corner by myself. Yeah, somewhere. Steve can do a great job of this. <laughs> <You> know, <for laughs> <sure>. so, <laughs> so, okay, so uh, we are out of time. And uh, uh, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to, to give me a wrap up here. Give me, give me something to, to close this whole thing off. And, and I don't know, uh, Rochelle, are you back on the, on, on the call? Um, I don't know if she is or not, but uh, if not, then we will just wrap it up. So 30 seconds, give me a wrap-up there. Great. So, so come hear me at, at the workshop. I'm going to help you figure out how to grow your business faster than it is currently growing. That's our focus. Feel free to visit our website, customermfg.com, download the free stuff. And I believe that if you take a process-thinking approach, you will grow your business faster than it is currently growing because that's what all of our customers have found over the years. It actually yep. works. And the blog there, valueaccelerationblog.com, once a week I post something that's interesting to me about marketing, sales, or innovation. So feel free to take a look at that too. You'll get some more ideas about what I do and how our company thinks. Well, Thanks for having me on today, Steve. It was great talking to you. I'm going to cover our faces up there so, so that we can give them a bigger picture of this. Yes, thank you very, very much, Mitch. I look forward to seeing you uh, at the workshop in January. Remember, everybody, this is being recorded. We will save this uh, both uh, uh, as a web, a video online as well as it will be part of the podcast uh, that are now available on, on iTunes. Tell your friends about this stuff. Uh, and... Uh, and want to say uh, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, this is Mitch Guze out of Silicon Valley somewhere in his kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Miller, better known as Kelly's dad. And we also want to wish you all a happy, happy Thanksgiving next week. And uh, always remember, be uncopyable. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. Bye, Take Mitch. care. Bye, everybody.